It's like going to Vegas, you know. If you are lucky, you, you win the lottery. If you're not, then you have zero. And so, because I'm not a gambler personally, I'm like, yeah, no thank you, no thank you. It has 5% chance of working, but if it changes, it's going to change the world forever. For every human being on the planet, forever. Not in five or ten years, it's forever. And in business, forever is a pretty good time frame. <laughs> That's Stefan Bonsell, CEO of Moderna, and he's talking about a much bigger gamble than throwing a few dollars at the craps tables in Vegas. The risk he's describing is the one he took when he accepted his current job and agreed to try, against the odds, to develop a vaccine based on mRNA. He was recruited to Moderna by Nubar Uffian from VC firm Flagship Pioneering. He approached Stefan with this tantalizing possibility in 2011. Here's how he pulled Stefan in. And Nubar contacted me, he's like, come over, I have something crazy to show you. So I go to Flagship's office one night. And he has one piece of paper, you know, on his desk as I walk in. And he's like, take a look. And so I look at it and I told him, it's impossible. Stefan's disbelief was well-founded. On that paper were indications that messenger RNA could be artificially inserted into human cells and instruct them to create a protein. We asked Nubar himself to explain why this was an astounding proposition. So it turns out if you put mRNA into cells, it was known that you get this severe immune reaction inside the cell. Not of the good kind, which is what we want nowadays in vaccines, but of a bad kind. That is, the cells just freak out because they think they're being invaded by viruses. And so I, I kind of told them what the idea was. And the notion that you could come up with a new code for any drug you want and put it in the body. And yeah, I think his initial reaction was rightly skeptical. Nubar was now showing Stefan that there might be a way to avoid the cells freaking out. Instead, they would let the mRNA in and then happily use the instructions it contained to synthesize a protein. Making it work in a consistent and scalable way was more than a long shot. It was a moonshot. And Nubar wanted to convince Stefan it was a moonshot worth taking. And Nubar was very good. He's a charmer. And then, of course, he flipped me like a pancake. I said to him, listen, it may not work, but if it works, this will be as big or bigger than Genentech, which was the iconic the Google of biotech or the Amazon of biotech. And I said, you're going to regret not being the person who builds that company. Through the lens of this astounding new technology, Stefan saw a world in which new drugs take hours rather than decades to develop at a fraction of the cost, with fewer unpredictable side effects and far higher rates of success. And this technology came from a small biotech startup that Nubar had founded and now wanted Stefan to lead. So you're telling me, if this is true, we're going to be able to do an incredible number of medicine helping so many people that nobody else can, with a higher chance of getting to launch, and it's going to be faster, and it's going to be cheaper? He's like, yep. That company, of course, would become Moderna, which, thanks to its pioneering technology, played a central role in the unprecedented global fight against COVID-19. It was a historic risk, which we now know was more than worth taking. 
Nubar convinced Stefan to take the gamble because he knew Stefan was the right leader for the risk that was ahead. We leap much further. And when we land, some of the time we land on quicksand and some of the time we land on things that end up becoming solid enough territory that we can continue to iterate, iterate, iterate until we find value. And so that's the nature of the kind of platform businesses we create. Both Stefan and Nubar were certain of one other thing. The best chance of success was to build Moderna from the ground up with a singular focus on this extraordinary possibility. And that's why I believe you need to prepare to make extraordinary leaps in extraordinary times. And to do this, double down on the right mindset and platform to take risk head on. You've got to have incredible talent at every position. It's like this huge push. There are fires burning when you're going home. Can you believe it? Such an idiot. And then you go back to, this is totally going to be amazing. There are so many easy ways. So, 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 I have no idea what to do. Sorry, we made a mistake. But you have to time it right. Oops. Working out of a three-bedroom apartment. Stuff that just seems absolutely nutballs. Ten years later, we're like, well, that's just how you do it. We haven't made just how you do it. This is Masters of Scale. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news, that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. (laughs) That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business, and she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. I'm Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, partner at Greylock, and your host. And I believe you need to prepare to make extraordinary leaps in extraordinary times. And to do this, double down on the right mindset and platform to take risk head on. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy announced to the world that the U.S. would land astronauts on the moon within the decade. At the time, America was lagging badly behind the Soviet Union in the space race, and the country was fractured by social injustice and civil unrest. Then there's the fact that much of the technology needed to reach the moon, land, and return safely didn't even exist yet. The plan was so audacious, it coined the term moonshot. They had to build rockets, landers, spacesuits, computers, and procedures. 
and the entire time, they weren't even certain that the moon's surface could support the weight of an astronaut, let alone the lunar lander. It could, effectively, have been a moonshot into quicksand. But just eight years later, American boots stepped onto the lunar surface. And they didn't sink. This literal moonshot was a success because NASA cultivated a risk mindset tailored to their mission and then built out a solid platform to support it. That's why the first Apollo mission to land on the moon was Apollo 11. Not because all previous missions had failed, but because each previous mission's purpose was to help test and build the platform that would give the moonshot the best possible chance of success. When we talk about taking a monumental risk for huge gains, it's easy to forget how important it is to assess the risk clearly and build a strategy around it based on both your goals and your company's culture. It's also easy to overlook how the success of your moonshot doesn't rest in simply taking the risk, but in how solid your platform is. I wanted to talk to Stefan Bonsell about this because as the first CEO of Moderna, he built the company from the ground up with a singular goal of making the moonshot technology of mRNA medicines work. He built a culture at Moderna that embraced risk while also taking counterintuitive moves to make sure that the foundation for their moonshot was as solid as possible. A moonshot that saved millions of lives with a technology that could be even more impactful in years to come. Because of this incredible achievement and the remarkable lessons to be learned, we split this episode of Master to Scale into two parts. In part one, we'll focus on how Stefan helped Moderna defy norms and deliver life-saving science by creating a technology platform. Part two, we'll dig into how Moderna scaled its impact under the most dire of situations and what that may mean for future transformative breakthroughs. As we heard at the top of the show, before he took the helm at Moderna, Stefan was CEO of French biotech firm Biomerio. He took over at Biomerio in 2007 after over a decade working management and executive positions in the pharmaceuticals industry. However, despite his impressive resume, Biomerio's choice of Stefan for CEO was an unexpected move. The chairman of Biomerio contacted me one day and was like, hey, we're looking for a new CEO. You are way too young, so most probably you have, you're not going to get the job. But I was advised by somebody I trust to really put a, a broad list of all the people I could think of that could potentially do it. And you came on that list, so would you be interested? So Stefan put his name forward without expecting much. To quite my surprise, they gave me the job. Biomir at the time when I became CEO was around 6,000 people. It had commercial presence with people on the ground in 40 countries. And so I got in there. And what I do is, first, I'm totally freaked out because I'm like, Shit, I don't know if I can do this job. <laughs> Stefan's solution was to set off on a listening tour. I spent the first 60 days going around the world, talking to literally maybe 150 to 200 of the leaders of a company. And I would ask them the same questions. I would ask them, okay, talk to me about you and your life and your family. And then talk to me about your department and what you do or your country or your lab. And then I would always ask them, hey, if you have the CEO tomorrow, what are the two or three things you would do? A listening tour is an approach I've seen from other great leaders when they're first joining a company. In fact, I would argue it's an essential practice for any new leader. It gives you an immersive and nuanced introduction to the culture, morale, concerns, and mindset of your team. And from this, you can build a strong launchpad for positive collaborative change. I saw this firsthand when Jeff Weiner took over from me as LinkedIn CEO. 
Jeff talked about this in his Masters of Scale episode titled, How to Set the Drumbeat. So I took the time to meet with literally every person at the company. At 338 employees, it was still uh, manageable. That would be a lot more time-consuming today. And so before I decided on any plans going forward, I wanted to make sure I understood what was happening, and I wanted to learn as much as possible from the people who had developed the company up until that point. After that extensive listening tour, Jeff identified what LinkedIn needed to build was a launchpad for its next leap in scale. He then set about communicating it, not just once, but again and again, at every opportunity. It became a steady drumbeat that reverberated through the company. I think all effective leaders understand uh, the importance and power of repetition. And it's, it's counterintuitive, because once you say it just a second time, you start getting bored of it, and you just project that boredom onto the audience. You just assume that people have heard it before, they don't want to hear it again. But they've got their own priorities, you know, they're focused on other things. And so that repetition is actually really important. In Jeff's case, his listening tour set the time signature for a steady drumbeat focused on building a shared culture. Even since Jeff stepped down from a CEO role in 2020, the drumbeat he set still resounds throughout the company. For Stefan, the listening tour helped him gauge his team's risk mindset. In order to establish the right risk mindset in your team, you need to be intimately acquainted with your business and all its exposure points to risk. Now, the right risk mindset for one company may be vastly different from another. It depends on your goals, your time frame, your competitors. Whatever the right risk framework you decide for your company, you need to make sure everyone on your team leans into it. Now that Stefan had synthesized his fresh viewpoint with what his leaders saw on the ground, he could put together a bold plan of action. I went to the board and I told them we should stop investing in those parts of a business where we don't have scale. We are naive because we have two people in France and there's three companies in the US with the $200 million and 50 people and that's all they do. We have no chance to ever compete with those guys. So let's stop wasting money and focus on what we're really good at. It's not that these sideline operations had no upside, but rather, there was no way of realizing those upsides without pouring in vastly more resources. And doing this would take resources away from the risk that had the best chance of paying off. Take all risks, and you're more likely to lose, even if it seems like diversifying helps. Focus is what's required. It's as important as choosing the right risk. It often takes an outsider to piece this kind of picture together. Having those non-scale outliers in the business might feel like a way to hedge against risk. But what Stefan saw with fresh eyes was that these outliers were increasing the risk to Biomerio's core business. Through that listening tour, Stefan had identified what needed to be changed in Biomerio's collective risk mindset. And he could use his findings to pitch a convincing case of why these changes were needed not just to the board, but to everyone at Biomerio. I'm of a belief that as a leader, you need to spend a lot of time on the ground with people. So town halls, lunches with 20, 30 people, dinners with the leadership team, so a lot of time with people. And I think as a leader, you just keep repeating the plan. Recall how Jeff Wiener did a similar thing at LinkedIn with a steady drumbeat to cement the company's culture. Stefan's steady drumbeat aimed at instilling a new risk mindset at Biomerio, and he framed it to be as clear as possible. 
The plan was pretty simple. I'm a very disciplined guy, so there was priority one, priority two, priority three, priority four, not 50, and they had numbers. <laughs> and we started executing. We bought around 10 companies to strengthen our core business. We closed a few factories, and the company did fantastic. We doubled the growth rate in the five years I was there compared to the five years before. We improved margin. The stock did very well. That was until VC Nubar Afian approached Stefan about heading up a very small company he had co-founded. That company's name was Moderna. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. Sunday morning, and I said, you know what, I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You'd write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. We're back with Stefan Bonsell, CEO of Moderna. And if you want to hear the entire uncut version of this interview, you can do so by becoming a Masters of Scale member. Members get to hear new episodes before anyone else and get exclusive access to the uncut versions of our interviews, Masters of Scale courses, and a range of other exciting benefits. To join, visit masterscale.com members. Where we left off before the break, Stefan was approached by VC Nubar Afian about becoming CEO of a small biotech company he'd co-founded that would become Moderna. It specialized in a niche, unproven technology, mRNA. At the very beginning of this episode, we heard the story of how Stefan was bowled over by the huge potential of mRNA and accepted Nubar's offer, even though he estimated it had just a 5% chance of success. So this is a good place to briefly recap what mRNA vaccines are and what makes them so revolutionary. And to do that, we asked science communicator and geneticist Alex Danis to help out. mRNA vaccines are really cool because, in essence, they're pretty simple. They have two main parts. There's a piece of RNA, so this is a nucleic acid molecule that gives your cells some information. And then there's a little fatty bubble around it. Your cells are able to read the instructions that are coded in that piece of RNA and turn them into a protein. So what producers and manufacturers have been able to do is to take the sequence of one specific protein from the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19 and put it into these vaccines so that your body can read that sequence, make just this one protein from the COVID-19 virus, and display it to your immune system. 
so that your immune system can learn what that looks like. And if it sees it again, it can mount an immune response against that virus. The theory behind mRNA vaccines had been around for decades, but it is only recently that companies like Moderna figured out how to make it work in practice. And the potential is staggering. RNA vaccines are really revolutionary because they outsource part of the vaccine production to your own cells. So many vaccines that we've used in the past, you have to make a lot of the virus itself in the lab and then package that into a vaccine that you're actually giving to people. And that can take a lot of time. It can be very expensive. And it means that sometimes our vaccines aren't quite as effective as we want them to be. With RNA vaccines, because we're sort of outsourcing a part of that production to the cells in your own body, you can really truncate the amount of time it takes to make one of these vaccines. Nubar opened Stefan's eyes to mRNA's potential to reconfigure the risk-reward calculus of drug development. And Nubar wanted Stefan to join Moderna as it attempted this moonshot. And he's like, I want to build this company. So you're a big company guy, you know, you spend your time saying no to bad ideas. <laughs> Nubar wanted someone who would know when to put the brakes on certain risks in order to make sure the moonshot had maximum chance of being achieved. This is how Nubar puts it in his own words. The one thing I had seen in him that I think has served him well since, and it's a skill or balancing act that has evolved considerably and strengthened, is what I call generally this notion of paranoid optimism. And so my mindset definition of a high-growth entrepreneurial leader is that you need to be both paranoid and optimistic. And he was both of those things. He was able to see the possibility, even though he could foresee the challenges, but he also could constantly bring to the table all the assumptions that we might be getting wrong so that we're constantly iterating and testing our assumptions. And so this combination, you know, what I call gas pedal, brake pedal, that's also defined our relationship because for all the years since then, I've served as a brake pedal when he was pushing hard on the gas pedal. And some other times I wanted to push on gas pedals and he would be brake pedal. But he himself internally has both of those characteristics in spades. And he looks for people around him to help amplify so that the balance is always there. I think that's a huge advantage. All leaders and strategists, whether a startup or a large company, have to say no to a lot of ideas. That is, unless you have so few ideas that you're not generating enough to say no to, and that's a whole problem in itself. So finding the right balance between the gas and the brake is key. But note how Nubar doesn't restrict Stefan's role to that of the brake man he knew that the relationship would be far more nuanced than that. Sometimes, Stefan would be the one gunning the engine, and it would be up to Nubar to shave off the speed. No one's role was set in stone. Indeed, it was the dynamic between the two of them that would be important. As we heard part of the story earlier in the show, for Stefan, the problem right now was deciding if he should say yes to Nubar's proposition. And so I left his office I woke home, my head was spinning in many directions. And so I talked to my wife, like I've done for every big decision in my career. She's like, you have to do it. And I look at her a bit puzzled because I thought she would be the conservative one. And I say, why? And she's like, if this works, this is going to help kids that have rare genetic disease, that their families have no hope today. You're going to be able to potentially work in cancer and other things. And you're going to impact so many lives and so many families. And if this could work, if this mRNA technology could work, 
you might be one of a few people who might make it work. You're so stubborn, you are totally relentless, and if it works, it will change the world forever. That's a piece read that was very clear in my mind at the beginning, which was, it was these things that you encounter very few times in your life where it has 5% chance of working, but if it changes, it's going to change the world forever, for every human being on the planet forever, not in five or 10 years, just forever. And in business forever is a pretty good time frame. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll do it. Stefan saw two key things he needed to do. The first was to make sure Moderna was built from the ground up with the right risk mindset. The second was to build out a platform for this revolutionary technology so that when the time came, Moderna could scale its moonshot technology at maximum speed. To achieve these goals, Stefan needed Nubar to agree to two red lines. I said, I'll do it, but I have just two things that are really important to me that I need your support on and say, tell me. <laughs> One is I don't want to go public too early because it's a platform. If it works, it's a platform company. We're going to have to invest a lot to build the platform. There's never been really a platform company in biotech. It's in the tech world that we have amazing platform companies, like the one you built and many you helped. Until now, a platform approach had been impossible in the pharma industry. Each new drug needed to be built from scratch, its active ingredients combined and tested. It was like making a one-of-a-kind, handcrafted, artisanal toy. But mRNA allowed for a different approach. It was more like a Mr. Potato Head. With the potato body as the platform, you could come up with any number of new characters in an instant. It was something I reflected on with my producers after I spoke with Stefan. Well, to some degree, every business is a platform that makes certain kinds of business activities much more efficient and simple and other ones much more expensive for that particular organization. So Levi's wants to launch jackets. Very easy to do. They have factories. They have direct and retail relationships. They understand fabrics, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Levi's wants to launch milkshakes. Not so much. Weird impedance with the customers, totally different supply chain, totally different go-to-market, probably different logistics and all the rest. And so all businesses are kind of setting themselves up to is what is the platform of your business about which kinds of products and services can you offer? How do you dynamically evolve them, et cetera? And so part of that when you're in a startup is what's your risk that you're setting up for how much of a platform because typically you worry that you put all this tooling in a platform and you don't get a specific application right. Namely, this is what's going to be sold. When it came to Moderna in tech terms, it was like building an OS rather than an individual app. Once you have that OS in place, you can then quickly build out individual apps using it. But this approach had its own inherent risks that Stefan needed to mitigate. And so I'm like, if... We go public too early. The capital market do not know how to understand such a company. They're going to ask me, what's the first drug? What's the first drug? And we're going to defocus investments in the platform. And we will minimize what this could be on the next 10 to 20 to 30 years for the world. And I will not do that. So I just want your word that until I say we go public, we're not going public. It's like, okay. This is one of the dangers of building a platform. You may be able to see all the potential, but your stakeholders may not. Then there was that second red line Stefan needed Nubar to agree to before he said yes to Moderna. And my second ask is, I don't want another VC. When everything goes well, the VCs are pretty aligned. When but things don't go well, Julie, we are not so aligned. Different time frame, different philosophy, different risk profile. I just want to have you backing us up. I'll find the money, I'll raise the money, 
Now, see, and I have to be honest, I've never raised a penny, so I hope I raise the money. <laughs> Note how Stefan was taking on a huge risk in terms of funding to mitigate what he saw as a bigger risk, that having VC investors would make it difficult to do the preparations he needed in order to build out the platform. An impressive, counterintuitive risk, and Stefan was fortunate to have the open-minded Nubar backing him up on this. I think Stefan's complete rejection of any VC funding was on the extreme side, but I can also relate to where he was coming from. I think it's one of the reasons you need to proactively construct your board and take differences in risk tolerance into account. If you have VCs that share your risk mindset, you'll have their experience and network on your side, greatly boosting your chance of success. But if you take investment from VCs who have a different mindset, you will decrease your chances. And this is key. Avoiding a risk doesn't mean avoiding all risk. It's a calculus. Stefan was exchanging one risk for another. Not many people would have even seen this as a move they could take. Who says no to funding opportunities? And very few would have seen just how aggressively they'd need to defend the time frame for building that platform. Now, Stefan needed to build out a company culture at Moderna that embraced risk and scaling at speed. This is one of the key things that from my software technology platform company experience is both amazingly parallel and amazingly different because you're generating an ability to code as a platform across a number of different applications, parallel, but you're solving science problems on, well, how does this actually work in these complex biological systems? I think I heard that you went to a Silicon Valley tour and was curious of like, why did you do that? What did you learn? And what did you learn that was parallel? And what did you learn that was different for building this new kind of company? Yeah, so the, the thing that was a very good model for us with the tech platform was this notion of invest in the platform as much as you can. Don't think about the apps at the beginning, just build. We had to build the operating system of mRNA. And so we just build the systems and more and more so we can have people coding apps, which is developing drugs. For us, COVID-19 vaccine, it was one app that the team built out of Moderna mRNA OS. And so... A lot of those analogies in terms of how do you think about investments, how do you think about time frame, how do you think about compounding, how do you think about learning, how do you invest in digital infrastructure so that you build the tools so that your teams can really go very quickly and scale. And there was nobody in biotech that has grown so fast, or pharma, because <laughs> those are big companies. So I'm like, I need to go to California. Stefan visited companies, including Netflix, Google, and Facebook. He told me about the many things he learned about scaling culture, hiring at speed, onboarding, and defining your mission, all of which Master Scale members can hear in the uncut version of this interview. That tour also gave Stefan ideas about how Moderna's risk mindset could differentiate it from the rest of the pharma industry. What we needed is what's the tool set that we need to give people or have them make decisions. And some of them are very not intuitive for people coming from pharma. This is not an industry where you have a most, let's say, risk-taking people, for example, because as you know, most drugs fail in the clinic in pharma. And so when a drug works, the key motto is don't break anything because the NPV of that drug the day of launch could be 20, 50, 100 billion dollars in one drug. So imagine the brand manager of that drug doesn't have a lot of room for freedom and doesn't want to take any risk because there's so much at stake. And then there's a regulatory side of it where you build a process once and then you have to go back to the FDA and most people say, I don't want to do that, so I don't change the process. So you have a lot of constraint in the industry that makes that this is not an industry where people take a lot of risk. And so 
And one of our mindset that we articulate very clearly to people is you cannot have impact without taking risk. And we're all about impact to patients. And one of the reasons we already, you know, when the virus happened and we were able to get one of the best vaccines in the world is we have been spending 10 years taking a lot of calculated risk. And taking risk is not doing things that are unlawful or unethical. It's doing something that might fail. And how do you build a portfolio? How do you build optionalities? Building optionality is important. But one thing to remember is there can be different dangers around having too much optionality. Maybe it's analysis paralysis or decision paralysis, being unwilling to commit to one specific thing because it's right for the company and the market. But on the other hand, a big part of a business is having an established platform to iterate, which gives you a lot of value. With a mindset for risk that set it apart from the rest of the pharma industry, Moderna worked at building out its tech platform. But while progress was encouraging, acceptance of the new technology in the wider industry was slow. It made getting funding from institutional investors difficult, and it also made attracting highly qualified scientists hard. But then, in 2016, Moderna partnered with another pharma company whose name will be familiar to you, AstraZeneca, and its CEO, Pascal Sorio. He's one of the few CEOs in pharma who really understands science deeply. And he's like, look, it's crazy, but if it works, it's going to change medicine forever. So they gave us $240 million upfront payment to get access to 40 drugs options. And that was a big moment because we moved from literally $20 million of cash left on the balance sheet to $260 million the next day when we got the payment. So it was a big change into what we could do science-wise. Stefan had found a like-minded investor that also gave a huge boost to industry confidence in mRNA. This made it easier for the company to secure talent and build out its platform. By 2018, Stefan had built an 800-strong, risk-embracing team and a platform that was geared for explosive scale when the time came. That year, the company made the biggest ever biotech IPO in terms of raise and valuation. It was set to be a vindication of Stefan's vision and the team's hard work and dedication. But then the stock started trading. Uh, one of maybe of the most embarrassing moments of my life was the day we started trading. I think it went down 18%. I forgot the number, but it was bad. So I didn't feel really, really good that I spent a lot of time on the weekend calling a lot of investors. I went really upset. For the next year, the stock's performance was middling and money became tight. And as we go into 2020, we need to raise money and we are very careful on where we're going to spend. And our goal is not to increase our spend in 2020 versus 2019. We're going to spend half a billion dollars and that's going to be it. So there's a lot of things we want to do science-wise and drug-wise. I would say, guys, we don't have any money. We're not doing it. So it was a very frustrating fall of 2019 for the budget process. But very soon, Stefan's worries about the company's finances were to be eclipsed. In fact, soon, the entire planet would have a very different concern on its mind. And then during Christmas and New Year, I'm in the south of France with my family. And as every morning of my life, or 99% of the mornings of my life, I get up, I go for a run, I come back, I turn on my iPad, and I read the Wall Street Journal. And there's a one-page you know, on the iPad article, very small article on the Wall Street Journal, that there is a new virus or bacteria at the time, they call it an infectious disease agent, because you don't even know if it's a virus or a bacteria, that is causing pneumonia-like symptoms in Wuhan. This was, of course, the start of a planet-wide pandemic that would put humanity to the test. It would also be 
the ultimate test for the moonshot that Stefan and Moderna had spent over a decade preparing for. And we'll hear all about that in part two of this episode. I'm Reid Hoffman. Thank you for listening. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we had stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale is a Wait What original. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Tripp, and Jordan Cloud. Our head of content and production is Lori Hoffman. Our producers are Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark-Gray, Marie McCoy-Thompson, Alex Morris, Tucker Ligurski, and Holly Bondi. Our editor-at-large is Bob Safian. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Chris Shea, Elisa Schreiber, Aria Finger, Zayda Sapieva, Greg Beato, Adam Heiner, Colin Howarth, Willem Crowles, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Sammy Aputa, Anna Pisano, Sarah Tartar, Lear Ceramentis, Charlie Manessis, Chinime Ezequena, Emily McManus, and Mina Kurosawa. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at masterscale.com slash membership. Hi, it's Bob Safian. You've been hearing me as the host of Rapid Response in this feed for a few years now with short newsy interviews alongside the deeper dives of Masters of Scale. Well, I'm excited to share that Rapid Response is expanding into its own feed. We'll be putting out shows twice a week, focusing on the urgent issues that business leaders are dealing with in real time. So search for Rapid Response in your podcast player and subscribe to make sure you get all our episodes. I'll see you on the other side.